You're listening to an episode from our Design Thinking Season, a series of conversations with people talking about their ideas and experiences with the design thinking process, universal design and inclusive design. Welcome to the podcast. I am Daniel. And I'm Katie. In today's episode, we talk with Donald Fitzpatrick. Donald is a senior ICT design advisor with Ireland's National Disability Authority. You're very welcome to the podcast, Donald. To start, can you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Uh, it's great to be with you all today. Um, I love this idea. I think it's a really interesting and innovative um, way to teach and to learn on the student projects. So, so well done to everybody involved. It's great. Yeah, so I'm Donald Fitzpatrick, as you said, and um, I come from a background in computing or ICT, computer science, call it whatever you like. And uh, my background is very much in, you know, usability, user experience, uh, that sort of thing. Um, as you've just heard, I uh, now work in the National Disability Authority, but for ooh, 20 years before that, I worked in the School of Computing in DCU, where I taught a lot of interaction design and all that kind of stuff. And I did a lot of research into, I guess, usability of complex types of data for blind people so things like mathematical equations or diagrams that kind of stuff so um yeah that's my background um what are some good examples of bad design well that's a great question put me on the spot straight away bad design okay so for me an example of i'll give you two actually one is some tv remotes okay and if you think about uh, a tv remote it can be, in some of them, it can be just a completely flat now, a touch screen, which is totally inaccessible if you can't see it. Um, in other cases, you might have a TV remote where the buttons all look exactly the same. They're exactly the same shape. They're not particularly spaced you know, nicely apart, so they're actually hard to press. So imagine, for example, if you have some kind of physical disability and you find it very hard to you know, to actually physically hit a small target, okay? Or you're totally blind and you're kind of going, okay, there's no physical marking on these particular buttons to indicate what they're for. Another one is, believe it or not, some medicine bottles. Uh, A medicine bottle can, for some people, be really, really hard to open. So can a jam jar, by the way. So can a jam jar. You know, a brand new jam jar straight out of the shop. If you're, again, if you have certain kind of uh, physical disabilities, you know, weakness in the hands, that kind of thing, they can be really hard to open. But a medicine bottle, um, two kind of interesting things about that. One, as I said a second ago, it's hard to open. But the second, some of the labeling and some of the iconography on it. um, There's a a wonderful story that I just heard where uh, the, it was a medicine or whatever iconography that, that they used it was quite hard to distinguish between a medicine that was a pain for pain relief and one for a laxative. So you didn't want to confuse those. You really wouldn't want to confuse them. But it was, um, it's a problem because, you know, it's like being, leaving, you know, it's like being flipping the side for a second. It actually can be a problem if you open the wrong medicine or if you can't open it at all. So when I used to teach interaction design, um, it was called human computer interaction, but the first bit of it was um, essentially a, a lecture where I showed students some really, really 
badly designed products. And the one that, that I vividly remember was actually there was a, a couple of different cookers, hobs, stoves if you're in America. Um, and they were designed in such a way that the buttons, like these were in some cases gas-based cookers. So you had to actually reach over an open flame to turn the thing on, this kind of thing. And you'd show these to, I used to show these to students on a PowerPoint and say, right, tell me, tell me, describe it to me on screen, which forced them to actually think about how they would describe this to me as a blind person. And they would then have to tell me what they thought was actually wrong with the designs. And not necessarily on that one, but on some of them, for example, it might be a lift slash elevator, whatever word you want to use, um, where the card reader was in a very, very bad place or, or something like that. And it would kind of, okay, well, what would you do to fix it? And there was some really interesting discussion then around, okay, here's a bad design. What would we do to fix it? And I can't remember which one of them it actually was, but one particular individual in one class one day said, he says, you can fix it. You start again. He says, you throw that out. He said, it's just, you can't fix it. And I thought that was a very telling comment because it was just a case of you can't retrofit. Sometimes it's just gone too far, you know. Um, so we used it really, or I used it in my classes really to, to, to get discussion going. And it's a great trick, even if, particularly if you're actually interested in design, to take a look at it and just, if you're having a cup of coffee with somebody, just pull up a few of these things and go, oh God, that's awful. Why is it awful? What would I do to fix it? It's just a really nice way to get yourself into the mindset of thinking about these things and, you know, say, okay, well, what would I have done differently here? And again, keep in mind that what you're trying to do here is you're trying to do this for as wide a group, as wide a demographic or wide ranging a group of people as you possibly can. How do you raise people's design awareness? I think there's a couple of ways. That's a really great question again. I think there's a couple of ways to do it. I, you know, there, there is an increasing awareness of it now because of legislation. Okay, so... A couple of years ago in Ireland, 2020 to be exact, we passed a thing into Irish law called the Web Accessibility Directive. And that means that all public sector web ex websites, mobile apps, intranets. So let's take, for example, you know, the university website or possibly the university learning management system um, all have to be accessible. Okay, so there is a legislative thing in the background now. That's actually going to expand because in June, all going well, um, something called the European Accessibility Act is going to come into Irish law. So what's happening is the moment there was a directive passed by the European Commission. That's going through a phase now of what we call transposition. So people in officials in, the, in, in various public sector departments are working on coming up with a framework to bring that into Irish law. Okay. So that happens by the 28th of June, 2022. By 28th of June, 2025, a lot of things, products, services, ICT, infrastructure, all needs to be accessible. Now, that's really interesting because that applies to the private sector as well. So you have things there like um, ATMs, a banking ATM. Um, they all have to be accessible. Okay, you might have ebooks and ebook readers. All this kind of stuff has to be accessible. So, you you th there's a legislative thing now that people kind of go, oh, hang on, there's a law that says I have to design this properly. That's the first thing. But the second thing I think is, 
I would call that as the stick, but you also need the carrot, which is to say to people, okay, look, if you design this well, it actually makes it better for everybody. Okay. If you take your product and that medicine bottle, you know, you maintain the security or that jam jar, we use a jam jar instead, that jam jar becomes easier to open. That just doesn't benefit people with disabilities. It benefits absolutely everybody because the jam jar is easier to open. So I think there's two things that you need to do. One, as I say, is, is this is this stick, which is you have to do it because the law says you have to do it. And the other one is you have to do it because it makes your product better and more usable for everybody. And by the way, if you do this well, you your business, your your enterprise makes more money out of it. So you can put a bit, you can, you can, as well as, you know, doing the whole social awareness or, 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 or moral imperative type stuff, you can also make a very good business case for, 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 for universal design. Uh, how did you teach design awareness? How did I teach design awareness? Um, I taught it really by making it relevant, I think. Um, every class was very different. So you had to kind of find a hook into a class to actually make it relevant. Um, in the sense that some classes, it depended on the cohort of students I was teaching as well. So, I mean, a lot of my stuff was with two discrete groups, one of whom were software developers and one were kind of business information type people. So the, the software developers were very interested in, okay, you want us to make it accessible. How? Show us the actual, the techniques to make an HTML page, a mobile app accessible. Whereas the business information people were kind of much more along the lines of, okay, we're the people who are going to actually um, tell the software developers the kind of the business logic, the, the requirements analysis, all that kind of stuff. Now, in the classes that I did, if you like, both cohorts of students did both facets of the, of the work. But it was very much you had to get a kind of a, a lean or a hook into whatever class you were working with to see what they needed. So it has to be tailored. Okay, thank you so much. Um, what is the difference between universal and accessible design? Okay, so I want you to imagine that um, you're out there and you have this fabulous idea. Okay, and I'm going to use one that crops up over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I've reviewed for a lot of conferences. And if I had a euro for every single time I've seen a paper on, we've designed an app to help blind people navigate better. And well, if I had a euro for, for every time I've seen one, I probably wouldn't quite be able to retire, but I'd, I'd certainly be able to afford a decent meal in a restaurant. Um, so the, the focus there is we're going to take blind people and we're not going to talk to blind people, right? But we're going to come up with a solution that we as sighted people think that blind people need to use which is usually wrong. So the first thing I'd say is you've got to actually bring in your users as early as possible and talk to your users, okay? But let's hypothetically say that this company has spoken to the users and they've built an app that helps blind people navigate. Fabulous, it's, an ex it's, an, it's all voice, nothing comes up on the screen. But the information out of that app is absolutely fantastic. Okay, now, Let's take that a step further and say, we've developed an app that helps everybody navigate better. It gives the information in a really clear way. It gives, presents the information in multiple different ways, multiple different modalities, i.e. it pops it up on the screen, it speaks it out, 
it might use vibration on the phone to tell you when to turn, this kind of thing. So you're using multiple modalities for conveying your information. And you've made it in such a way that the entire user interface is accessible for blind people. It also looks nice for sighted people. That's universal design. You haven't just said, I'm going to make something that's accessible for person X, group X. You're actually doing it in such a way that it's accessible for everybody, irrespective of age, ability, disability, or size. So universal design, accessibility is a feature of universal design, okay? The ability to use the right HTML tag on a website is accessibility, which leads you to, into universal design. To summarize it, I would say universal design is, is you, you are aiming to make your app usable by a really, really wide range of people, as wide as possible. And to do that, you need to know the techniques to make it accessible in specific cases. Do you have some other um, examples for universal design? One of my favorites, actually, is, is something really simple. Um, go to a supermarket to do your shopping. Okay? Outside the supermarket, there is a whole line of trolleys. So you take a trolley and you walk into the supermarket with your trolley. There's no step. The doors open automatically. And you just, you know, you, you can go in there. Okay, so really good universal, really good design is actually hidden in the sense that that step-free access means that, you know, people who struggle, so that's how, if there was a step there, uh, there are people who might struggle to actually climb up steps. People who use wheelchairs wouldn't be able to get in. People who have buggies wouldn't be able to go in. People who push trolleys wouldn't be able to go in. So that step-free access is hidden design. It's a really nice little example um, of something that we all come across every day that we we use without probably thinking about it, that means that the place is, 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 is very, very accessible. How do you build universal design into the heart of a new product? You build it by getting the mindset right, I think. I think at the very, very start of your product, you have to start off with the mindset of, we want to make this as widely usable by as many people as possible so what you have to do is you've got to come up with your idea and you say okay i have this idea let me talk to a really wide range of users now to see what they think of the idea what pitfalls am i likely to encounter you know all that kind of thing so it's really important that you you, you consult with your users you can't make assumptions about users that's that's the key part of all of this if you start making assumptions about users any design that I've seen which does that, including some of my own, by the way, okay? When you start to make assumptions about users, you make mistakes. So yeah, so the, the, way, the way you do it is, is, is all about the mindset and the willingness to actually reach out and bring your users into the fold. There's a lot of research involved, okay? The actual techniques of, you know, what way do I design my built environment? The techniques are all there, but actually understanding what your users need and being willing to actually embrace that and go, oh, hang on, I assumed it would be X when the user is actually telling me it's Y. I have to put my assumption aside and go at what the user wants. So, yeah, mindset, I think, is the key. With its emphasis on empathy, you could argue that the design thinking approach already implies a universal design goal. Is that enough or do you think it's need it needs to be emphasized? 
Oh, I think it does need to be emphasised, and I think I think that's where the legislation comes in, in the sense that you know you you can't always guarantee, in, certainly in a business case, that empathy will take you far enough. You might have some part of a team which is really empathetic to 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 to, to people and to to users, and if the imperative of legislation isn't actually there, you know that they might just turn around and say, "Yeah, that'd be really lovely," and we totally agree with you, but. We're not doing it because something else takes priority. Whereas if the legislation is actually there, you can you can look at it and go, well, we have to do it because the legislation says we do. Um, can you tell us about the NDA's annual Grand Challenge competition for colleges? I'd be delighted to. So what we do is every year we run a competition called the Universal Design Grand Challenge, and it's open to students undergrads, postgrads, doesn't matter, who were in the last two years of study. And what we're interested in seeing from any discipline really is if you've got a project, if you're doing some work, how have you factored universal design into the design of your product? And we're always delighted to get uh, entries from as wide a range of disciplines as we possibly can. And we judge this under three categories. We have information and communication technology. I have to put that one in first because it's mine. The built environment and then products and services. So what's nice about it is, is that, is that uh, you know, students from across the Republic of Ireland are showcasing what they're doing in the field of universal design. And there are some cash prizes and there are also is, is an opportunity to, through the university you, you apply through, one uh, project will uh, win the Enterprise Ireland Commercialization Award, which gives them some seed money to actually do some feasibility uh, to take take the project forward. So it's the first year that I've run it because I only joined the NDA, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the entries, actually, because the feedback since we launched it has been very good. And if you are interested in just keeping an eye on it, you can get that on the Center for Excellence and Universal Design uh, Twitter feed, where it's, it's, it's all over that for the last week or so. So uh, yeah, uh, possibly, I think you, you're on second year. So certainly going forward, do consider uh, putting an application in because we're, we're always delighted to get them. Sounds very cool. Do you have any final comments before we finish? No, I, with the exception of one, which is when you're designing Think about your users and think about universal design. And uh, that's all, all I have to say. Thanks very much for having me on. This has been good fun. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for so much for talking with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode. See the description for links, credits and license information.